Um, today's scripture reading comes from uh, Judges 11, verses 1 through 6 and 29 through 37. Let us hear the word of God. Now Jedef the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jedef, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jedef out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jedef fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jedef and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jedef from the land of Tob. And they said to Jedef, come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jedef, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jedef made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. I will offer it, I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jedef crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Eroer to the neighborhood of Minith, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Karimim with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jedef came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. She said to him, Father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone for leave me alone two months that I may go up and down the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. This is the word of the Lord. With each passing story of judges, we get darker and darker, and these, we recognize that these judges are being explained more and described more than God. In the beginning, it's a lot of God did this, God called, and God raised up. As you progress down in Judges, you start seeing the narrative of the actual judge and their flaws coming out, including next week as we approach our final major judge, Samson, and Samson, we could probably do a few week series on that. Uh, every major judge shows us this, that God will and can use anybody, even the flawed people, to deliver his people. And this is the goodness of our God. God doesn't select perfect people. He selects faithful people. He selects available people and the people that will say, Lord, use me and I'll go. And then so in each of these, we learn that every judge has a unique tra trait. Ehud, he was known to be the left-handed man. We see that God uses a unique trait of Deborah, first leader, that's a female in the Bible. And then last week, we learned about Gideon, a coward and a trickster. And today, we learn about Jephthah. And if you've never heard the story of Jephthah, as we just read, it's a tragic story. And so let me begin just giving a little back summary of what John just read really well, by the way. Thank you so much, John. 
Jephthah was a Gileadite. That's a northern tribe. And this is the map. Uh, Gilead is right on the right side of the Jordan River. And so you see the Ammonites beyond that on the right side. And you can see why there was a little bit of attention. We'll leave that map up. So this is happening in Gilead. And so Jephthah grew up as a Gileadite. His father was already married, but he went to be with a prostitute, and out came Jephthah. His father had a wife with other sons, and the other sons, as they grew up, recognized him and said, you're basically not part of our family. Your mother was not our mother, so get out of here. So they chased him out, and the Bible says he went with, he went with wicked men, bandits, and these are the people that he lived with for a time. Uh, Gilead eventually gets attacked by the Ammonites for Israel's evil ways. God allows the Ammonites to come in. And so it's like that kid who you chased out, who you said, hey, you're a nerd. You're not part of our crew. And then a science project comes up, and you're like, oh, we need help. Oh, let's get uh, Alvin. You know, he was really good in science. Alvin, we're sorry we chased you out. Can you come back and be our uh, group member so we could work on the science project together? So they go to him in verse 4 and 6. And they, they approached Gilead, and they said, I mean, they approached Jephthah, and they say, come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. And the only thing we know about, we, a few things we know about Jephthah is, we are told he's a mighty warrior. We are told he's a son of a prostitute, and he was despised by his brothers. So we assume, because Jephthah looked like a warrior, the elders said, we need Jephthah to win. Jephthah is kind of cunning, so he says, I'll come back and fight for you under one condition. Let me be your head of all of Gilead, which is a very bold request. And Gilead elders said, done, it's a deal, come be our head. So Jephthah comes back, and the first thing he does, we didn't read it today, but he says to the Ammonite leader, he tries to be diplomatic with them. You know, hey, let's, let's basically have peace, let's work this out. And they said no, and because of that, they go to war, and Jephthah, he goes to God, and we are told that he is filled with the spirit of the Lord, and Jephthah leads Israel into this battle. So before he does the actual battle, Jephthah does something really strange here, and this is what he's known for because the whole battle is only two verses. rest of the narrative is about Jephthah and this vow that he makes, and the vow that he makes is this. Verse 30, if you will give me the Ammonites into my hands, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So a couple of thoughts here. Giving him the benefit of the doubt, you know, when you come home, what chases out after the door for you? Does anybody, anything come out? Maybe at best, I was thinking, giving him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he's got sheep and goat at home. So he comes home, they're like, bah, and they run out. And so he's thinking, I will dedicate my pet goat. But giving him not the benefit of the doubt, but the reality, he says, whatever comes out of my door, my house to meet me, it paints a grimmer picture that he might have actually been thinking, and a couple of commentaries have thought about this, his servants. He was actually thinking about even offering human sacrifice. So basically what he's saying here is, God, if you will give me victory and peace with the Ammonites, I will give you whatever you want. So parents, this is familiar to you. You might have heard this. Children say to you, Dad and Mom, if you will just get me a dog, 
What do they say after that? If you will give me that PS5, if you will let me hang out with Joey at his house over the weekend, then I will what? What have you heard? I'll do the dishes. I'll, I'll do the homework. I'll mow the lawn. I'll wash your car. And you know, this is where kids make these bold requests, and they're trying to what to the parent? They're, they're right, bargaining and haggling with the parent. And so Jephthah says, if you will give me the Ammonites, I will give you the first thing that comes out through that door to meet with me. And the only thing that would do that typically is a human. And I think he either wasn't giving him a lot of benefit of doubt, he just wasn't thinking, he was just making a rash statement, or he was thinking, and he was thinking about offering human sacrifices. So there's a lot of that imagery in this chapter, human sacrifices, so we'll talk about that. So he comes back, there's only two verses, God gives him victory over the Ammonites. He comes home, and as soon as he comes home, verse 34, he came home at Mitzvah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him. And not only his daughter, it tells us, his daughter came out with tambourine and dancing, this joyful, jolly daughter who is so excited to see her dad, who just came back from war, and he's alive. The daughter is so happy. Not only that, we are told she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. Jephthah is devastated. Clearly, he did not expect the person or the thing to come out. And the Hebrew word, it could be translated whoever or whatever comes out. He did not expect it to be his daughter. And then he says, daughter, why have you done this to me? At the end of chapter 11, even though she says, let it be done, keep your promise to God, give me two months, let me come back again. Some interpreters diverge on this. Some people say she was not sacrificed as a burnt offering. What this means is she was given to the temple as a servant for the rest of her life, never to marry. So she grieved her inability to marry. But most scholars say, we hope that's true, but all indication is at the end of verse 11, at chapter 11, is that she was given as a burnt sacrifice just as he had vowed. And so, this is a crazy story, and has a lot of questions. A lot of questions, and I want to kind of approach it in terms of a few questions. The first question here is, wait a minute, time out. Does the God of the Bible accept human sacrifices? Does the God of the Bible accept human sacrifices? And the answer is explicit. Can we say no? <laughs> now, if your children don't behave, maybe you could lie a little bit, say, hey, you know, but that's not true. We see that in Leviticus 20 and Jeremiah 7, over and over God says to Israel, I despise, I abhor that false idol worship because they sacrifice children. You are never to be like these people. So when people are asking, why does Israel keep conquering other nations in Joshua? Why can't they all have peace? It's because God is judging these foreign nations who are sacrificing children. Uh, can we all agree sacrificing children is evil? Yes? Okay, thank you. And so what God is doing, the way he administers justice to these foreign nations is through Israel. And so he's not just starting war for the sake of starting war and taking land. 
It's because this land is filled with worshipers of false idols who sacrifice and do evil to children. So, we are told the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and the Lord gave them into his hands. Two times we're in this chapter, God is active and responding, but there is never a request by God for a great sacrifice. And after Jephthah makes his vow, we don't hear God saying, let it be so. All we hear is God continuing his plan as he did in Judges to bring victory to Israel over their oppressors. God has not changed. The only thing that changed was Jephthah's weird vow. In fact, um, this is a verse that we should all know by heart, and this is a verse that we Maybe a sub-theme of today's text. 1 Samuel 15, 22. It's only six words. Can we repeat it together? To obey is better than sacrifice. This is Christianity. Christianity is not what can I give up to God. It's God, I am your servant. Help me to obey and honor what you say. That's obedience. And so what Jephthah was brought to God to deliver Israel, Jephthah's calling was simply obedience to God, not to make a grand sacrifice to God. Uh, I think in America, we do that today, right? We, we did something bad. We, we had a bad case. A couple years ago, um, you know, the late Kobe Bryant, long time ago, I remember this in college, I think, he had an affair with his wife, uh, against his wife, and then so his wife found out it was all in the news. So what did Kobe Bryant do? He bought her like a 20-carat diamond, I believe. And, and everybody was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, Kobe Bryant wanted to make up for it by giving a great sacrifice to his wife. And we do that. We do something weird, and we, we think God wants us to pay back with a great sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15, 22, God says to obey is better than sacrifice. Just returning to this relationship is better than anything big we can offer to God. So, God does not request human sacrifice. He does not delight in it. And he certainly didn't honor Jephthah's sacrifice. So, the second question is, so why did Jephthah make such a vow? Was it necessary? Well, parents, why did your children say, if you give a dog, we will clean up after it, bathe it for the rest of its life? And we all know that never happens. Um, I, I, I've never met a parent that said, my child takes care of his or her dog. And so we kind of roll our eyes, and we eventually get a dog, maybe. Um, so why did Jephthah do this? Kind of out of the blue. It already tells us the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, meaning Jephthah knew that he had God's power to give victory over the Ammonites. Why did he do this? I think it was like the children. He was trying to bargain with God, if you could give this what I want, I will offer to you something great that you may be pleased with. And it was unnecessary. Well, Jesus talks about this. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about vows, making vows, making, making statements, swearing on heaven. He says this in Matthew 5, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said of those old you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform the Lord to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. What is he talking about? What Jesus is saying here is during a time where people say, I swear to the heavens I will do this. I swear to the Lord's land of Israel I will do this. Jesus is saying, stop doing that. Instead, simply let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. You don't have to swear. So I looked this up. You know how we do this today in 2022? Um, Actually, with a few church members, I joke about this because how many of you heard someone that says, can I be honest with you? How many of you heard that phrase? To be honest. Or they say something like, can I be real with you? And Indeed and LinkedIn and professionals say, stop using that in in professional settings. Because what does it assume? It assumes, can I be honest with you? Because this previous 10 years that I knew you, I've been lying. So let me be honest for a moment And let me just tell you the truth for the first time, which is not the case, right? So what we're really saying is, can I be frank with you? Can I be blunt with you? But we use this weird phrase, can I be honest with you? Well, I think Jesus is saying to that, instead of saying, can I be honest with you, just be honest. Just be real. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. If you're going to mow the lawn, say you're going to mow the lawn, and you're going to mow it. Just mow it. Don't say, I'll mow the lawn Uh, If you give me, you know, I swear to my mom's life, I'll I'll mow your lawn. I'll swear to my family's name that I'll do this favor. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't swear at all. Don't hold an oath. Because if you hold an oath, you're going to be forced to keep it. So why make a foolish oath? Simply live in a way where your yes is yes and your no is no. Applying that to here in Jephthah. Jephthah, God wants to give you victory over the Ammonites. You don't need to be making an oath. Just simply say, yes, Lord. Go with me. I will go. And what does Jephthah do? If you give me this victory, I will offer to you whatever comes out. It sounds so noble. It sounds so loyal. But God doesn't need any of our sacrifices. He just simply needs our obedience and so we live like this we bargain with god god if you would only give me this job i will go to church every sunday you know god will give you a job even if you don't go to church every sunday because he's sometimes a generous god who's i can't explain his grace and generosity perhaps we should just go to church and worship god anyway And so we deal with God, we negotiate with God, and we do this Jephthah sin. If you would only let me graduate college this year, I would do this for you. And I think Jesus is saying, let your yes be yes, no's be no. You don't need to deal with God. Live in a way where you simply hear his voice and say yes. So we do this with grace of God. God gives you something for free, and we try to work on paying him back or doing something to it. So today's... uh, New City Catechism question, actually, the commentary. Tim Keller makes this incredible, cool, simple story. And he says, if you mix faith and works, if you say, yes, I have to have faith in what Jesus has done for me, but I also have to add this or that in order for me to be saved, unless or lest I'm not saved, what Tim Keller is saying is, then you're saying Jesus isn't enough for you. 
if you have to add to it, if you have to be good, you can't. So he gives an illustration. Let's say someone is making a wooden cabinet for a great, for a gift. And he finishes, he's a master cabineteer. He makes a perfect wooden cabinet. Everything is polished, everything is beautiful. He gives it to him. And then once he gives it to as a gift, the receiver of the gift says, oh, let me just add one more stroke and gets a sandpaper and starts working on it. Has he added to the cabinet? No, he's actually taken away from it. And so by adding our own efforts sometimes to grace, it's not being nice. We are actually detracting from the giver. Put it this way. If somebody, if you, let's say you need $1,000 by tomorrow or you're going to be evicted, right? And then somebody comes in and, you know, a buddy of yours says, hey, here's $1,000. Lord, put it on my heart to pay for your rent. And then you say, hold on a second. Let me come right back. And you take out a nickel and you say, here, take the nickel. You deserve it. You're so nice. Would that nickel seem like generous and kindness? It would almost be an insult. <laughs> the best thing we could do is humbly say what? Thank you. I don't know how to pay this back. Your generosity, your kindness is too much. And so learning to receive grace and to give grace is very hard in our world because we don't like to just receive something for free. We're very proud people. We are. It's weird for us to just not owe back something. And so what if we just served? We just gave. We just offered ourselves in just humility. What if we received in humility and show gratitude and we're just willing to let others care for us without a burden to pay back, without a quid pro quo? You know what that's called? That's the kingdom of God. That's what church looks like. That we simply serve one another. Why? Because I love you. Just want to bless you. Um, have you seen those YouTube videos? I know it's kind of staged, but it, it's still powerful in this way. Like random guy goes up to a person, like a homeless person, and he does this. I, I forget his name. And he asks the homeless person, hey, brother, can you spare a dollar? And it's stunning. Almost everyone he meets, they're like, sure, here's a dollar. I don't have much, but that's all you need. And the guy said, thank you so much. You know, actually, I just wanted to see who were generous. And he gives him $500. He goes, just, just to bless you. And they're crying. And so something about just giving away, um, YouTubers are clicking on that, and they're realizing it's so beautiful. And I realized, wait a minute. That's what our God does. Our God gives us life. Our God gives us a Savior. Our God gives us friends and community, all for free. He never asks us to pay it back. What does Jephthah do? God, if you'll give me this victory, I will offer it to you a sacrifice. This is the foolishness of paying back what God has already promised and given to us. So, third question should be this. Some of you should be asking this. Why didn't Jephthah bail out of that promise? Did anyone think that? I thought that. He comes home, he sees his daughter. Why doesn't he go, oh my goodness, how do I take back this vow? The only way to take it back, Jephthah could have repented to God, I made a foolish vow. And Jephthah, knowing God doesn't delight in human sacrifices, should have known that God would have said, I don't want your daughter. But Jephthah says, I made a promise to the Lord, and I have to keep it. So it says in verse 35, 
As soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the great cause, uh, cause of great trouble to me. Notice how narcissistic he is, by the way. His daughter's about to get killed, and he's the victim. This is Jephthah. You have caused me great trouble, even though she's about to die innocently. And then he goes on. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. My question to Jephthah would have been, why not? What's keeping you? He was a mighty warrior. He wanted to be the leader of Gilead. He was, he was scorned by his half-brothers. He wanted to prove a point. I'm a tough guy. I'm a guy who, who keeps his word, even when it's so evil. In other words, his pride is literally killing his daughter. Scholars all say, all he needed to do for such a foolish vow was simply say, God, forgive me for being so presumptuous. Forgive me and I repent. And he couldn't do that. He could not take back his vow, not because God wouldn't accept it, but because he couldn't humble himself to a point where God could remove this. So pride goes before the fall, and instead of yielding to God's way, he was seeking his own wisdom. Instead of depending on God, he was trying to live it his way. And pride is killing us today. See, the same pride of Jephthah to not be able to withhold is the same pride that keeps us from going up to someone and saying, hey, I'm sorry I was wrong. The same pride is the same pride that keeps us from going to God and saying, God, I've ruined my life. I am so sorry. I want to go back to you. It is pride that I could prove myself, and I'm an important man, I'm a big man, and I can't humble myself, is what's keeping us from reconciliation. And this is the same pride that's prevalent in us. Notice Jephthah is the one who makes his foolish vow to God, and he is the one that's the victim. So, lastly, our final question is this. Wait a minute, Pastor Jason, or as we read the Bible, hold on a second. If God hates human sacrifices, wasn't Jesus a human sacrifice? It's a great question. If God hates human sacrifices, why did God sacrifice Jesus on the cross? And so there's a connection here. You know, in the story of Jephthah, there's only one innocent person. Who was the innocent person? His daughter. And it wasn't just a daughter. The Bible makes it clear that he was his only daughter. So his lineage would have been cut off. He was, she was his only child. For he had no other sons and no daughters. And so every judge, if you notice, in this broken, crazy, chaotic world of people trying to solve their own problems and God using dysfunctional people, it points a shadow and sliver to the one Savior once and for all who's going to redeem us. This little girl who was sacrificed unnecessarily points to Jesus Christ who was the one sacrificed once and for all for all people. The reason why Jesus wasn't a sacrifice, two things. And I want us to hold this as we go back. Why was Jesus not a human sacrifice if God did it? Number one, Jesus wasn't just human. What was he? He's fully God. Being fully God, Jesus was not just a human sacrifice. Jesus was the creator, the redeemer, the triune God, one person in the Trinity who came to earth, took on flesh, 
And he, God, went to the cross to be the sacrifice. That's why this Christianity, it blows our mind. Every religion says, sacrifice so I could accept you. Every religion says, you better do this so I can receive you. And Jesus Christ says, I will do this so you can be received by God. See, that's the difference between Jephthah. Jephthah is a guy who wants to be in control. Jesus, he gives up his control to bring people back to the Lord. But the second reason is Jesus wasn't just God who came. He was not a victim. Jesus willingly went to the cross knowing this. See, the little girl came home. This, I just, this story just breaks your heart, right? Daddy's home. Daddy's home? The little girl darts out with tambourine. Dad, welcome home. And does she know that in a few hours, like a few months, her very dad will offer her up as a sacrifice? No. She goes out there unknowing. Yet Jesus Christ is the perfect version of this that settles it once and for all to this crazy, broken, evil world. He is God who comes intentionally into it knowing his journey is not to just be nice, not to just heal a few people, not to teach a nice lesson like Gandhi and Martin Luther King. He came for one mission, and it was to die on the cross so he could rise again. This is why Jesus was not a human sacrifice. He was a love offering so that there would not necessarily need to be any more sacrifice you and I make to be accepted by God. The blood has covered us all. And so this is the hymn that you may know, and this is why this hymn makes sense. That this Jephthah story points us to, oh my goodness, Lord, our world is crazy. And we need a Savior, and God gives us Jesus. And the, the hymn ends with this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Because he is our sacrifice. So practically speaking, there's two things that we could walk away with at least in addition to just treasuring Christ, how is your pride? How is your ability or inability to confess and be transparent before God and one another? What would it look like for us to humble ourselves? And two, have you been negotiating and dealing and wheeling with God? Perhaps a better track that Jephthah's story is warning us is, what is God's will? And go to it. What is God, where is God leading you? And just simply obey and respond to it. For God desires obedience, not sacrifice. Because Jesus has taken the place of sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, this is a cautionary tale and this is history. This is more than just a lesson, but this is the brokenness of people who you use, but in our own wisdom, in our own just hurriedness and urgency, we, we cause heartbreak. God, this is definitely a story about a description of our past, not a prescription of what's ahead. And we are so grateful, God, that 
there is no more sacrifice needed, that there is no more vowing um, in order for you to bless us, but because you bless us purely, graciously, generously, out of the goodness and your love and the holiness, brilliance of your heart. We know that because you gave us your son and you took that cross yourself. Lord, uh, in a time where a lot of people are making hard decisions, may we not find ourselves bartering with you. May we just simply trust you. May we simply hold to your promises and to your word. And may we humble ourselves so that we can obey and follow. Lord, help us to get out of our own way so that we could pursue you with joy and boldness. Thank you, Jesus, for being the sacrifice so that we could be received, so that your grace would flow. And thank you so much for all, all of these reminders that all of us are in need of hope in your mercy. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.